You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast, as always. My name's Phil. I'm your host and creator of the podcast, and today's a pretty big topic. Uh, not big cards, big topic. Although, I mean, I guess all the tarot cards are big, but uh, today's topic is Tao. Tao, T-A-O. Um, big, big term thrown around in the mystical communities, the, the metaphysics communities, the philosophy communities. A lot, a lot of different communities throw around this word named Tao, and I'm going to take my stab at it. I'm going to do it no justice. Uh, I'm not going to get into Taoism because I only understand a I understand a decent bit of Taoism. I've studied quite a bit of Taoism, but I'm not a Taoist. Uh, as much as I mean, I guess I could qualify in some regards. I'm not a Taoist, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm just an idiot on the internet. Today's cards, thank you, Tarot Deck, uh, the Mystical Manga, by Ron A N N. R-A-N-N. There we go. Wow. My brain's not working today. This is going to be a long episode. Uh, text by Barbara Moore. You can find that on Amazon. You can head over to t- uh, tamingindrances.com slash the archive. And uh, there's a link to the direct um, direct link to Amazon there. Uh, let's get into this. Dow. Big. Again, big topic. That's why I'm, I'm, my brain is like trying to catch up to like how I got here. We'll start with the cards to give us a little con- contextual idea as to how I did get to this topic. First card out was the Ten of Cups. The Ten of Cups is a representation of like the fairy tale ending. It's it's the hey, you know, everything happened, and now we get this beautiful fairy tale ending. You know, we get a ride off into the sunset. The card is depicted by uh, a couple with two children staring off into a beautiful sunset. There's a nice brand new house kind of built off into the, the background. There's a nice landscape. There's some clouds and, you know, all the cups are like a rainbow at the top of the card. It's that fairy tale ending. That's what the Ten of Cups represents. Next card was the Seven of Cups. And I will say the first three cards were cups. And cups, the suit of cups, uh, is all about emotions and relationships and those, you know, that section of our being. And next up is the Seven of Cups. And the Seven of Cups is a choice card. But it's a choice card in the representation that all of the choices, it's its all of them. It's totos lost choices. It's, you know, represented by these seven cups and each cup is filled with something. In this case, uh, being that it's a mystical manga, it's fantasy based. There's this individual hanging out in the clouds and there's a cup with a dragon and a cup with a castle and a cup with jewels. And, you know, there's every cup has something and the cups runneth over. So it's a representation of all of the possibilities, all of the choices. Um, next up was the Ace of Cups. And the Ace of Cups is the representation of, you know, like, what what is this emotional response? What is this emotional situation? Remember, cups are emotions and they're relationships. And the, 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 the Ace of Cups is this representation of, like, healing, of... of Healing in like a, um, a forgiveness sense of a, a in the, in the sense of relationships, remember cups, emotions, relationships, but it's moving forward. It's the, 
receive, just receive. Here's, here's your chalice of healing. Here it is. Here's your option. Here you go. It's so, you know, if we look at this in the, in the context of, we have all these cups and we have the 10 of cups, we have the seven of cups, and we have the ace of cups. They're like a story, a story of, it's almost a story in, in going backwards. Whereas the Ace of Cups is this healing idea, and it's not just healing of its, its forgiveness, it's the calming of the spirit, it's it's all of these different, different chances of healing. It's the options that are healing. So it's all of these different options, that's where I'm looking for, it's all these different options that could end with healing. The cup, the card itself, the Ace of Cups, represents healing. It's a chalice of healing. But it's the options that are there. It's all of these different options that could, when chosen, or, or when when the efforts put in, when the actual, you know, options chosen and the efforts put into it can lead to these very healing-like moments. But Stepping backwards here, it's Seven of Cups. We had a bunch of options. That's what the Seven of Cups represents. All of these different possibilities. All of these different options. Uh, the Ace of Cups is also a representation of not to be stubborn with that. So don't just like let all these options build up. But you have to choose an option, essentially. You have to choose an idea. And then the Ten of Cups is that whatever the outcome is, it was this you know fairy tale ending. But it's a representation of all of these different choices made along the way that got us there. So th that's where we started. And then I, you know, as always, got a clarification card here. And the clarification card I got was the lovers. And the lovers is often represented in, in most understandings as a romantic card, right? But it's, it's not just a romantic card. The lovers really defines hard choices. Uh, the lovers card is typically depicted by two individuals um, coming together and embracing in a kiss, but they're blindfolded. And, you know, most people would be like, oh, it's because love is blind. And yeah, there's all of these, you know, like mm, smoochy, moochy, whatever kind of um, understandings we could have with it. But the reality is these cards represent the hard choices or I'm sorry, the lover's card represents the hard choices. You know, do you pick, you know, love for the sake of love or do you pick the right match? You know, what would would, would get you to the right places? You know, is it? Is it a match made out of romantic nature or a match made out of necessity and, and logic and reason? It's a hard choices card. So it doesn't just have to deal with the romantic choices we make. With that, if you add that to the story of these cards, these cups cards and what they're kind of talking, two things pop out of me. The first word that popped out of me was fate. But fate is a, a I don't know, it's... Um, it's a lot of different options that came together or are supposed to culminate into the right quote unquote option or like, you know, the one that's already predestined or predefined. Another word came to me before that, um, which I had hesitated on and that's Dow. And the reason I hesitated on it is because Dow is, it's a big word. Uh, it's a mistranslated. It's, it's not well understood. Um, Alan Watts did a great job with, you know, Alan Watts did a great job of bringing the the Western mind to a a more I'm sorry the Eastern mind to a Western populace, um, and part of that he brought the this word Dow. And if you've never heard Alan Watts speak, um, I would highly recommend to go back and listen to one of his 
recorded uh, speeches. There's plenty on YouTube, but I have the links to uh, the Alan Watts Foundation on the archive you can check out. Um, let's jump straight into, before I get into my understanding and my philosophical viewpoints and all that stuff, let's jump into how Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, which is an odd place to go to to even start with this, which I thought was a, a good place to start because it is so odd that you would go to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary for a translation because this isn't a translation necessarily. This is the definition they use. Now, I will start with the historical etymology for Tao, T-A-O, um, is Beijing, uh, Beijing Chinese um, is Tao. That's how you would say it, Tao. And it's literally way it, the literal translation if we just got rid of everything and gave the literal translation it is way and keeping that in mind let's go over the Merriam-Webster's dictionary's definitions it's the first one the unconditional and unknowable source and guiding principle of all reality as conceived by Taoists. That is the definition of what the Tao is to Taoists. It is the unconditional and unknowable source and guiding principle of all reality as conceived by the Taoists. In some cases, that would be considered their fate. In other organizations, I shouldn't say organizations, in other understandings of the pantheons, we've had representations of this. They were known as the fates. You know, um, that representation of the, the weavers of the fates, the, the, the fates themselves, those were kind of similar in some way. I'm drawing a connection line to what the Tao is to the Taoists. The next definition is the process of nature by which all things change and which is to be followed for a life of harmony. So the process of na nature by which all things change and which is to be followed for a life of harmony. This is a life of finding balance. And I've talked before about the universe finds balance through asymmetry. The Taoists probably understand this the best. Um, another one. Now, these two definitions are often not capitalized, and so they're not the capital Tao. They're just the use of the word Tao. Uh, the path of virtuous conduct as conceived by Confucians. That's how the Confucians uses Tao, not capitalized. It's just to have the right Tao is to have the path of virtuous conduct. Uh, another one is the art or skill of doing something in harmony with essential nature of the thing. Something like the Tao of archery or the Tao of pottery making or the Tao of cooking. It's the, the way. This is the way. If you know, you're watching modern television, if you've seen um, uh, The Mandalorian and they say this is the way, you could represent that with this is the Tao. This is the Tao of this thing. It's the Tao. This is the way. Uh, I, have a, I have a small inkling that's where they got that from. Um, so you could say the Tao of archery. This is the way of archery. Now, this gets into a complicated discussion of what is the right way what is the right method what is what are these things because that's not an easy conversation to say something is specific in that manner is well it's tough that's ugh, that's a that's a tough game to play right it's a tough i don't even know how i feel about it. that's where i'm kind of like sitting in the sense of because i don't know how i feel about fate either so before i go too far into the philosophical sides of all of this if to, before I go too far into 
what all of this might entail, even specifically in self-awareness, mental health, spirituality, let's jump over to the definition of fate as well, because I think that's an important piece of of context before I get into anything else. Fate, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, defines as the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come to be as they are or events to happen as they do. I know it's a little complicated. They would also call that destiny. But the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come to be as they are or events to happen as they do. Things going to happen. They're going to happen the way they're going to happen. <laughs> that's that's kind of what they're saying there. Uh, next one up is an inevita- inevitable and often adverse outcome, condition, or end you know, met their fate, essentially. Uh, Also defined as disaster. So that's an interesting connotation there. A final outcome, the expected result of normal development, the circumstances that befall someone or something. And then you also have the fates, the plural fates that I said I was talking about before. That's kind of another reason I wanted to bring this up. Um, The fates were Atropos, Clotha, and Lachesis. Um, who were the fates. They were the three goddesses that determine human, uh, human lives, what happened during human lives. And that's the, um, in the, the mythologies, the verb fate is, and it's a transitive verb, uh, is to dis, to be destined to do be destined. Um, also doom. And interestingly enough, I just want to bring this up as a sidebar, because uh, I don't think a lot of people know what the actual definition of doom is. Doom is a judgment or a decision. Um, it's the law or order ordinance, uh, and it comes from Anglo-Saxon uh, England. So we take Anglo-Saxon German, we add that to um, Latin, essentially, and we get this bastardization that we turn into the English language. So Anglo-Saxon, in the Anglo-Saxon English um it would mean a law or ordinance. That was the doom to be your doom would be to be your law or ordinance, you know? So this was an action that you could take that would become, it was so prominent or so actionable that like it would become a law or an ordinance. That was a doom. Um, It's interesting to think that they were, you know, you would think that word that we've now modified into like, Oh no, doom and gloom, you know, the doom of something comes from the idea of a judgment or decision. It was, it was a lawful action or ordinance. Um, to think that way, you might get an understanding of like how people might have thought about laws and ordinance back there. Like, yeah, maybe they were necessary, but it was the doom, the, the connotation we've given it today gives us that understanding. It was also destiny, uh, death or ruin, because your, your doom could lead to that. You know, you could do something. A lot of, there was a very basic laws in the, Specifically, the the Anglo-Saxon um, period of time, where we had cultural references of witch doctors or um, individuals who would read someone's fate, they did have laws. They had very few laws, and those laws include like "don't kill, don't steal." Like they were basic tenets of how a society should come together. So it would be very you know prudent to say, "Oh, you know that person will meet their doom." that doom might've been death or ruin because most laws were written that like there was a, there was a huge capital punishment. You know, if, if you killed someone else, you were going to be put to death. If you stole, you were going to lose a hand. Those were the type of laws we're dealing with. So it makes sense to have saying like, you're going to meet your doom. You're going to meet your judgment or your decision. And that was also pretty commonly death or ruin. The, 
going stepping back to fate, you know, we have another connotation here that kind of goes along with that. You might have the definition of disaster. Uh, that would be a definition of fate. You could have this thing that was disaster. And disaster is defined as something that is sudden calamitous event, you know, great damage, loss, destruction, uh, someone or something that is very bad. These are connotative. When I think about chaos, right, and I talk about how chaos is infinitely, infinite possibility, and the way we get back to chaos is through destruction. If we take the connotation of destruction off, we would have disaster. We would have a sudden calamitous event bringing great damage, loss, or destruction, taking the connotation out of that, these could be good things, right? You know, some might, you know, someone would mention if we look at ancient Egypt, right? And we look at the Nile and how the Nile would overflow. That is a disastrous event. It is a calamitous event for the Nile to have overflowed, but that filling of the floodplains allowed for crop growth every year. So it was a necessary destruction. We would need the destruction of the immediate zone around the Nile, and then the floodplains would be filled and crops could be grown and there was fertile soil. Um, so that's part another, just another representation, another example of why I take the connotation of things in those sense. But getting off track a little bit, let's step back. We've talked about fate. Um, an inevitable and often adverse outcome, condition, or an end, the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come but to be as they are or events to happen as they do. Things going to be the things, they're going to be the things because they are the things that were already destined to be. Let's take all that back to this idea of Tao, right? And to do that, let's step into where everyone always references the Tao. That is known as the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching, which, as far as we know, was wrote, uh, written by Lao Tzu. And there's been umpteen translations, and there's been umpteen... Uh, I don't even know what to call them anymore. Everyone has a, a translation. Everyone has a thought process on the Tao Te Ching. It's talked about constantly. This is why it's so great. When a piece of writing is able to instill so much thought into the populace that everyone comes up with a different understanding, we call these things canon or doctrinal. Uh, they are so great in their wealth of... How do I want to put that? They are so great in their wealth of... Prov provocation of thought that they become bigger than they are. We'll never know if Lao Tzu sent, set out to make this so ridiculous that, you know, there would be centuries of people trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. Um, and there's an argument of which came first, Taoism or Lao Tzu. It, you know, there's been historical kind of definition of like who was Lao what does Lao come from all of these things exist in that sense when we talk about the Tao Te Ching I like to go as deeply to the source as possible and there's again a, a bunch of different translations out there um, the one I'm about to read was by James Legg and I'm not going to get into the whole thing but this beginning of the Tao Te Ching is the one that's most often quoted um, as far as how it's represented in the translation. And 
it gives us a pretty solid contextual place to start from. That's why I'm bringing it up. I would highly recommend to go read the Tao Te Ching. Please be careful about whose translation you read because a lot of people translate it to kind of fit their own vernacular, fit their own kind of message they're trying to say. Um, this is the why I'm also bringing this up because it's, it's a brilliant understanding of or not, I shouldn't say that because it's my understanding. I, I wouldn't call my understanding brilliant. That's a, that's a bit, that's a bit out there. Um, it's my humble representation and not really humble in any way. I think it's a perfect representation of how you can use a great piece of work for coercion. The Tao Te Ching I draw the direct correlation between the, the people who translate the Tao Te Ching and, and tell people what it means is a direct, and not that that's wrong to do. It's just, that's a direct translation to a priest or a pastor standing there and telling you what the Bible says or what the, uh, the Catholic church tells you. The Catholic church, you know, wouldn't want you to read the Bible because if you do their translation and their version of it might not work. This is the same thing as the translations of the Bible, like the King James version and all of these different versions of the Bible we have, all of which spring from when Constantine decided to translate the Bible into um, Roman, essentially. And the that's how we get the progression into the King James Bible comes from Constantine's version and Constantine's version cut out some things. As far as we understand, you know, we get rid of the Apocrypha, we get rid of the Gnostic um, books on spiritual Christianity. This, the same thing with the Tao Te Ching is all of these people have created their version of like, Oh, this is what, this is my translation. This is what it says. This is the, this is my understanding. Now they've done a much better job at saying up front, like, this is how I took it. And this is my viewpoint. And so I will give respect there, but I don't see much of a difference in the, the conceptual idea of taking a canonical record, which is the Tao Te Ching has become a canonical record in the form of Taoism in some way. And and having, you know, someone write their treatise on it comparative to a, a pastor, priest, or some person of the clergy giving a representation of what the Bible says. Um, no difference to that to what the rabbi doing the translation, because a lot of people don't speak Hebrew. Um, and so, you know, or even better yet, most people don't speak Yiddish, which there are some translations that are in Yiddish, and I won't get into all that right now. But no difference than the rabbi telling people what the book, uh, the Torah says, like there's no too much of a difference there. So it's almost a, a, a um, almost a perfect example, almost a perfect example, almost of why it's important to do your own reading of these things, to get your own opinion on it. Why, you should never let someone tell you like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what this says. This is, this is what this means. No, you should use those as references. Absolutely. I'm not saying don't listen to your pastor, your pastor, your priest. I'm not saying don't read different translations. I'm not saying don't listen to your rabbi, you know, consult these individuals. They're supposed to be professionals in the realm of what these things mean. That means they're consultants, you know. Religious leaders don't get a pass in my book. They don't get a pass. Specifically, if they're working with an organization, they should absolutely not get a pass because they have preconceived notions. They have an agenda. And I've warned about that many, many times. 
I, I, my biggest warning is against the organizations themselves because they don't have your DAO in mind. I promise I'm bringing this back around. So let's, with that in mind, I, I brought up all that to go over this very, the very first chapter of the DAO aging. It's very short, so you bear with me, but it's very short. In this translation, uh, Dao De Jing, which was written by Lao Tzu, uh, this is translated by James Legg. Chapter one, the Dao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Dao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. Having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. Having a name, it is the mother of all things. Always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would sound. But if desire always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. Under these two aspects, it is really the same. But as development takes place, it receives the different names. Together we call them the mystery. Where the mystery is the deepest is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. Deep stuff. Right, very deep stuff. Just the first chapter, opening chapter. I would argue that the opening chapter of the Tao Te Ching could be infinitely picked apart and talked about and lectured about. It's a fantastic opening. It's poetic, and yes, the translation here makes it poetic. But the actual, you know, when you re look at how. Uh, there is a poetic nature to the way, if you look at the Chinese characters of how Lao Tzu wrote, um, there's a poetic nature to it. Let's go right back to line one, chapter one. The Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. This is a warning. This is a fucking upfront warning. That's what this is. I don't care what you say about it. I take it as a warning. The Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. Remember the direct, most specific way you can translate Tao into the English language is way. Now, with that, I will add, Tao requires effort and option. That's what these cards are representing, right? So we have the Seven of Cups, infinite, like just a bunch of options, right? Ten of Cups is having the outcome that could be the fairy tale ending. The Ace of Cups is the warning not to be stubborn and to, to allow for the options of healing. The Lovers is the choice, the hard choices, to have to go and make hard choices. This is a representation of in order to get to the Ten of Cups, right? You have to have had the options and the choices, which we do. That's called chaos. And the Ace of Cups, which was not to be stubborn, to have allowed for the options to be taken. And the Lovers, which is to have put in the hard, put in the effort of hard choices. So the Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The way, remember, capital, the, capital T, capital Tao. The whatever, your understanding of spirituality. Let's, let's just make it a baseline of that. Your understanding of your spiritual nature of spirituality your answer to your why questions that is Tao straight up Tao that is that is what Tao is is that the answers to your why questions the paths before you that could lead to greatness or ruin all of the options are on the table so that being said the Tao 
the 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 highest Tao thing, whatever you want to call it, God, you want to call it Krishna, you want to call it um, Allah, you want to call it you know uh, Jehovah, you want to call it, um, it was, I guess it would be Jehovah. Um, my my Hebrew will never get better. I apologize. Um, you want to call it chaos. Most would call it, try to call it creation. You want to call it, you want to call it artificial intelligence, infinite superiority. Uh, you want to call it, whatever you want to call that, which would be defined in the, here in the Western world, we would define as fate or that of finding fate. The, the answers, the answer to why questions, if you want to call it 42, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, if it can be trodden, it's not that. It's not that. If you can go down that path, it's not that. It just isn't. That's what this is. It's a warning there. If you can go down this path, the full path. Now think you have to, that's the other thing you have to keep in mind here is we're talking about something that's infinite, unfathomable. Anything that is infinite is unfathomable. You can't actually possibly fathom it. That's what infinite means. Because if you start to fathom it, it will have an end and this has no end. It's that powerful, that, that great of an idea. That's, that's, that's the warning Lao Tzu gave in the very first line was, this thing I'm talking about, even I don't understand. This person who puts so much time and effort into writing the Tao Te Ching and coming up with these ideas, they can't understand it. Same thing for when, you know, when we talk about Marcus Aurelius's um, memoirs. He wrote that in order for no one else to find because he didn't quite understand how his mind worked and he was trying to put it on paper to figure it out. But if his enemies would have found it, he would have been fucked. He would have been instantly killed. They would have used it against him in the political spectrum and he would have been removed from power. So he had to hide his memoirs. And now we use it as like the Stoic Bible. Very funny idea. The Tao in this sense, the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu, the Tao, he's stating up front, or she, we don't really know, um, is stating up front, it's so infinitely ununderstandable. Uh, you can spend your entire life in it. And thus, that's the argument between what came first, Taoism or, or, or Lao Tzu. Because the act of being a Taoist is that. It's chasing that forever. This is why we have the Taoist immortals. Because they were trying to find an alchemical solution so that they would have enough time here to figure it out. Because the Taoists were very smart and they understood that... Uh, I shouldn't say... They still understand. Um... Taoists understand that reincarnation is a trap. You don't want to be trapped in that. So in order to not be trapped in that, you would try to find immortality in this life so that you could figure it out and then transcend and you wouldn't need that. That's how we got the story of the Taoist immortals. I am paraphrasing the shit out of this, by the way. So feel free to yell at me for it. Um, the Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. That's, that's the very first warning. First line, first page. Next, the name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. If you give something definition, and I understand that I'm giving my understanding of this, having just said like, you know, this, there's no difference between this and like, so I'm just kind of giving a contextual idea because I want to flip this understanding of doubt at the end. I understand that I'm doing exactly what I just warned about. So again, take all this with a grain of salt. I'm just like, this is a fucking moron. Like, I have no idea. Go read it for yourself. Come up with your own understanding. I take it as a warning right off the bat. 
which is why these cards got me to here, because these cards are a warning. And I'll get to that in a second. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. Massive fucking warning there. If you can define it, if you can give a contextual idea, it's no longer infinite. Thus, it's not Dow. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. The Dow that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Dow. You can't fathom it. You can't define it. You can't understand it. That's what the warning is here. Yet, yet, Lao Tzu goes on to write many more chapters on what the Tao is and how to live a Taoist or a Tao present life. 37 chapters in total. That's, that's Tao. The fact that they wrote this is Tao. That was Lao Tzu's Tao way, path, gong fu. I don't care what words you want to use it in, you know, if we want to take it to the Japanese context, this would be the representation of mastery, which I talked about last episode. Essence, the episode before that. In some cases, the process of spirituality would be the art of something. Thus, it would be the Tao of it, the way of it. When we talk about, you know, when I was talking about the definitions, how you could have the Tao of archery, right? The art or skill of doing something in harmony with the essential nature of a thing or of the thing. That would be its Tao, right? Your Tao is your depression, in my personal opinion. I've tried to represent that in many of the episodes that I talk about, specifically the first set of episodes before I started deeping, deeper diving into this understanding of spirituality. And that's where, just as the Tao Te Ching was originally, the first line to me I take as a warning um, to not get too caught up in all of this, so too are these cards. The Ten of Cups, that fairy tale ending. We often get overcome with the idea of we're trying to get to that fairy tale ending. We're trying to do the most perfect things. This is, you know, when you take personality types and you get like type A people and type, you know, these are just warnings. The tarot provides warning. Horoscopes provide warnings. It's a, a way of getting you out of your head to look at different understandings. So, yeah, we have this, you know, yeah, we want the fairy tale ending, right? Don't most people really secretly want the fairy tale ending, although they want to like bullshit us about like how bad their lives have been. It's a posturing game. Instagram is full of people posturing. Facebook full. All of social media is full of people posturing. That's not Tao. That's not way. Going back, right? First line. The Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. Everyone trying to do the same shit to make themselves look cool. Buying Gucci, blah, 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 Prada this, Rolex that, Ferrari, taking pictures in front of Jets, um, you know, being social justice warriors for clout. Everyone doing the same thing in that regard is just a giant ball of bullshit. It's everyone trying to be the same. They all want to be important. 
for people to be important, there must be a large subset of the population that's not important. That's the balance to that. The more we celebrate something, the more we also decline other things. This is what I was talking about when I was talking about how I believe it was in the magic episode, episode 51, the other side of the secret, that whole book thing of, you know, if, if you're looking for some sort of windfall, the balance to that is asymmetrical. The universe has to balance it out somehow. That's what the universe is doing. Universal laws. Number one, the universe is constantly seeking balance. Number two, it will find and find that balance asymmetrically. It's almost like one A and one B there. So with that in mind, if we look at Dow, we come to this idea of the lover's card, right? We have the Ten of Cups, could be a fairy tale ending, Seven of Cups, plenty of choices and options on the table that you have to figure out. Ace of Cups, the not allowing for or stopping oneself from realizing the the actions that could create correct action or correct choices. I talked about this back way in the beginning of this podcast, uh, episodes eight and nine, uh, Choice and Change. Um, the lover's card is the representation of the hard choices to put in effort, to have clarity of mind that How do I want to put that? I'm going to say it. To have heart. Why am I putting that way? I've talked about how the combination of mind and spirit is what we call soul. And souls have magnitude. That understanding of that, that conversation between the and connection between the mind and the spirit I define, or I believe we've defined as soul. And that's why soul can have magnitude. And if something can have magnitude, it can be measured in time and space. This is what gives us the ability to have nostalgia, to have cultural reference that for culture to have spirit in that sense, it has soul. You know, when we say we use the very words, soul food, that is the black community's nostalgic time and space essence measurement that has magnitude of a food that gives feeling. So it is mental and spiritual. It has some other transcended idea that then the body can feel or the mind can connect to. That's a beautiful thing. Wonderful. Thing. There were other references that I've slowly put in place that have now brought me to the next piece. And I want to share that with you. So we have this thing called soul. Soul is the, the, the mind. We have self, body, mind, spirit. The next piece up the pyramid, we have the connection of mind and spirit that gives us soul, right? What's the connection of body and mind? The word we often use throughout all of history is to have heart. What's that look like? Or what does that really mean? So when we talk about the lover's card here and how it typically has a romantic connotation. To have heart or to put your heart into it or to feel it in your heart. Those, those colloquial sayings that we use quite often um, are interesting because 
the word love doesn't really exist in other languages so much. Uh, there's no lo- word for love in Japanese. There's uh, daisuki, uh, to have big like, very big like. And the word daisuki, when Japanese met English, made a translation. Oh, daisuki would mean love. Uh, love. Um, but they're not the same. You know, they're not the same thing. The idea of love is a cultural representation. The idea of daisuki is a cultural representation. The understandings of these things are cultural representations of an emotional, weird, chemical cocktail um, that we experience, typically in a romantic setting. And I've talked before, I did a whole episode, episode 43, about love and how love is not a principal understanding of the universe. This whole, under, you know, when we talk about love and light, light is a principal understanding. Everything is light. Love is not. Love has no principality. I, I When I talked about that episode, I, I wish it did. You know, it was a big wish of mine that, yes, law, I would find some scientific or correlative understanding that love would be a principality to our reality. And it's it's not, unfortunately. It's a conceptual idea, but a, a, con, a useful conceptual idea, but not a principal idea. Instead, we have these things where we talk about heart. And I'm using the English language here as a basis. But we have these colloquial sayings where it says to have heart or to feel it in our heart, to put our heart into it. We have the um, Ayurvedic methodologies with the chakra system of prana. Um, we have a chakra point that's considered the heart chakra, right? And we, inside of that, we have what's known as the the flame. The, um, the uh, A lot of quote-unquote meditations or uh, structural thought processes, a system of uh, meditative factor for the heart chakra is to go and clean out the temple of the heart and to relight the flame. We often talk about uh, two lovers where we have, even in the tarot card, the tarot deck, we have the uh, two cups, which is the twin flame, right? Um, We have many of these references where flame and heart and putting your heart into something. And even in Buddhism, we have that kind of understanding. Uh, we have the Mahayana, Vishnahana, the two uh, canons, the greater canon, the lesser canon. And that splits into Chan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. And this gives us a really good reference of the Chinese mind versus the Japanese mind. In that understanding, because those two things repre- reference chaos and how they understand chaos. The greater canon under- is more the, the Chan Buddhism, uh, the Chinese understanding of Buddhism, which is everything was born perfect and will slowly degrade into chaos. So everything was born ordered, yin yang, right? That's the Chinese Chinese symbolization, yin yang. That's where everyone starts. Everyone was born perfect in, in order. And then we'll slowly degrade into chaos. Well, to get into a degradation, to get in back to chaos, things must be destroyed, right? That's their understanding. The Japanese mind is the other way around. Everything was born from chaos. And with time, perseverance, and effort will become perfect, will become ordered. So they start with chaos, then creation order, and, and then it's destroyed from there. Uh, and thus a master or someone who has mastery, again, last episode, would be someone who put their all, put their heart into it. And so we have these references all throughout the world, all throughout history. Um, we have 
the anecdotal tales of the mythologies and the, you know, even coming up to uh, modern references, uh, like we, you know, we talk about the Wizard of Oz and we have, you know, the Tim Manning's heart, right? Or I'm sorry. Um, yeah, right. Tim Manning needed a heart. I don't remember anymore. Or no, sorry. Brain. Um, the cowardly lion needed a heart. Courage. Um, we have that reference if, you know, the heart being the reference of to have courage, right? Um, if I, uh, uh, I, won't, I won't do my cowardly lion. It's a bad idea. Uh, it's one of my, what was one of my favorite, um, um, can't think of the word I'm thinking of accents. Uh, no, um, impersonations to do, but this idea of having heart, right? Was it the scarecrow that needed heart? I don't even remember anymore. That's terrible. I just know there was a reference in there. Um, I didn't really pay attention to the wizard Wells that much. Anyway, um, we have all of these different stories, anecdotal, mythological, mythological, about having heart. We also have some uh, very obscure but interesting stories where we talk about the the characteristics a heart can take, right? So you can have an icy heart, you could have a stone heart, you could have a jaded heart, you could have... We have these references where we always talk about how the heart can take on characteristics. So in that regard, right, keeping that in mind, we look at the mind-body connection. We would reference that as to have heart. The reason for that is because it's the necessity. It's a need. The human form needs a heart. It doesn't need very many other things. We know that the, without a heart, we die. You know, without blood flow, cardiovascular, you know, it is feasible to think that we could somehow replace our blood plasma, our blood, with something else, with a synthetic version. In fact, we have synthetic bloods, right? Or synthetic representations of blood. We could fathom the understanding that the brain could be supplanted with technology. And thus we would have some sort of computer brain linkage thing, you know, the whole Elon Musk stuff, um, which was he really the first? No, he's just the first one. To, I, I'm not going to get into the Elon Musk thing. I'd love to talk to the guy. He seems interesting. I have some, have some qualms as to, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. No need to, no need to ruffle any feathers there. Um, I have qualms as to, you know, like again, Per, actually, you know what? I'll say it. Elon Musk is a good example of a translation of the Tao Te Ching. He's a, he's a translator. He's translating his understandings of all these things he's putting together to to complete his vision, his almost his Tao. He's trying to supplant that into multiple things. Good on the guy. Awesome. If he wants if he wants to make humanity better in the in the same regard, great. The the. The outcome will never be known until it's happened and then we get to judge it, right? Elon Musk, I believe, to be one of history's great representations of 2020. 2020 vision, right? Hindsight is 2020. We won't know. We won't know until it's over. And then the history books get to decide. The historians get to decide. The philosophical um, leaders of tomorrow get to decide, you know? 
it can be said now that he's he's going to be a great power and influencer of modern society. It's clearly, that has already occurred and will continue to occur. This understanding of, of mind and body, of heart, that connection, right? The heart, yeah, we can make an artificial heart, but it's still a heart. We can make an artificial heart that's... And because we have yet to actually, you know, now we've had the whole thing with pig valves being put into people, you know, put a, put a, a pig a heart's valve into a human heart, right? But it's this mythical representation, this anecdotal representation, this um, symbolic representation of heart, right? It's this, this, the thing the human body requires. It's a requirement. It's a necessity. It is in essence, remember the essence episode, a piece of the body. It's an essential piece of the body. Without it, you can't even really define us as humans. Because there's the human heart. And it also correlates to other animals. Other animals have hearts, right? So not bringing up species and all that stuff and getting into like lizards and, and mammals and blah, blah, blah. Humanity, humans, require this thing known as heart. And if we look at the chain of the chakras, it's the conversation of the upper chakras to the lower chakras because we actually have more than just the seven that we talk about. Um, and because seven's an odd number, we'd have to take one out to make it an even distribution. We have three above, three below, heart chakra. Um, oh, wait, sorry. Two below, four above. There we go, because the heart chakra comes before the throat chakra and then up the, up the, no, wait. Root, navel, solar plexus. No, I got it right. Yeah, well, I to double check myself there. Yeah, root, navel, solar plexus, heart, throat, mind, third eye. So it's the, it's the in-between, it's the translation point, right? So it's the representation of mind and body talking to each other. And the mind doesn't control the heart. We have no direct control over the heart. The autonomous nervous system takes care of the heart, takes care of our blood pressure, takes care of our, um, our heart rate, you know, diastolic, systolic, which makes up our blood pressure. That whole process, right, that the cardiovascular system does and the heart provides the engine to do, we can't take, take direct control over. This is why meditation is so important because we can affect it. It's also why diet and exercise is so important because we can affect it. Uh, we don't often make that correlation, I don't think, that this thing known as the heart that is the autonomous epicenter of energy for the body, we can't control we can't, and, and it's probably a safety net that we aren't able to control that because we have to correlate some sort of resource management system that there are, you know, part of the brain, the reason we gave the heart has its own synaptic of, has its own um, EKGs, read the, the electrical response of the heart because it needs its own system for that. It has its own memory cells. It has its own system. It's its own thing that if the brain shuts off, the heart just keeps going. And so that resource management process of we can be comatose, brain shut down. Now we do know there's some brain function as far as, you know, uh, in a comatose state, but conscious representation, 
cognitive function um, could shut down and the heart just keeps on going. Just do, 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 do. It has its own frequency. It has its own. There's just so many representations that makes it this, this essence, this necessary piece. And the fact that we can't control it, the mind can't actually control it, is what makes up the conversation, the connection. Because we can feel it. And it tells us things constantly. And we don't make that correlative response of, yeah, it's autonomic, but we have some sort of, you know, pathways to get to it. We can meditate. We can breathe. All meditation is awareness of breath. We can become aware of our breathing and we can use different breathing systems or, or, uh, different breathing methods to affect the heart. You can hyperventilate and increase your heart rate. You can also deep breathe and decrease your heart rate. You can do other things that affect the heart. We, you can eat shitty food and make your heart work harder by getting fat and being unhealthy. You can absolutely do that. You can increase your plaque in your uh, arteries, you know, by eating unsaturated fats and just getting super unhealthy and, um, you know, just eating just grease and seed oils all the time. Um, I'm not going to get into a whole the nutrition thing there, although I probably could. I do have my affiliate, Parabulk, um, which is an affiliate of mine. I, I'm a, sorry, I'm an affiliate of theirs. Um, and I probably should say at this point that Parabulk does not share the same viewpoints as I do. In no way are we correlated in our viewpoint sections. Um, you know, I, have, I probably should state that all the time, but, you know, my views are my views and Parabulks are theirs. None of my views should be placed upon them. I'm just an affiliate of theirs. Uh, I just, you know, send people their way. That's, that's the connection we have. Um, but please do head over to purebulk.com and use Taming Hindrances code for 10% off. Uh, they're a great company, great supplements. Plugging them in whenever I can. That understanding, though, of health and wellness, we don't necessarily in- include in that vein of things. That health and wellness is a way for us to have a conversation with our heart. Doing jumping jacks, doing push-ups, using the bodies. The Greeks knew this. The Greeks were fantastic at this understanding. They understood this heart thing. That's why they wrote sagas about these great, you know, things of the mind-body connection to have heart and to put heart into something. Um, that representation is why it's the representation of. I'm sorry, that's that's the incorrect wording. That representation is why the mind and body connected has to do with heart because it's the only thing the body has we can only affect but we can't take control of and so the body has us at its it has us at its will it it has that over us that if the body decides that the heart is no longer going to continue beating game's over jigs up sign off the end, the end, period. You, you write the story. The writing of the story has everything to do with the heart in multiple different ways. And thus, it's part of this thing known as Tao, way. It's not the full piece, though. And I'm still working on that because now I've just defined the two. We're going up the pyramid. We started with self. And self is defined as body, mind, and spirit. The connection between the mind and the spirit I've been talking about in the last couple episodes is known as soul, 
right? And the connection between the mind and body I'm now defining as to have heart or heart. I'll find maybe a better word for it, but that's the representation. That's the symbolic idea. We have the soul and we have the heart. And when you break it down to that level, going up the pyramid, or maybe the pyramid should be inverse, I don't know. Um, or if it even really matters. That gets us to a whole bunch of things that philosophy and religions and uh, I should say philosophy and theology and uh, just, just general conversation, you know, uh, colloquial speak, vocabularies, languages try to express. We try to talk about those things. We've created language in order to discuss soul and heart and what they mean. Entire systems of understandings of the physiology and the anatomy of not only the human, but other things come down to these two things, the soul and the, the heart. We have entire writings like Iamblichus, who writes about the vehicle of the soul. We have entire understandings of scientific endeavors to understand how the heart affects the rest of the body, how it has its own sine wave and, and synapse that's what gave us EKGs. As you know, it, as far as I'm concerned, when we look at the bioelectric field and we talk about key, prana, chakra, uh, key, uh, I'm sorry, chi, key, prakashana, um, energy, quote unquote, or energy healing systems. The greatest technology we've created in that realm is the MRI machine. It is what measures the bioelectric field. And part of that is you can also then do an EKG and you can read the bioelectric field of the heart. And the bioelectric field of the heart has its own thing. It's its own representation. It has its own, it has its own frequency. That's how important it is. Your heart has its own frequency. And so... Is this grand correlation, this grand connection of mind and body? And so why is that understanding important for, and why question, spiritual question, why is that important for this understanding of this thing known as Tao, Wei? The unconditional and unknowable source and guiding principle of all reality as conceived by Taoists. Because the conversations of soul and heart are our methodologies for understanding that. When we want to talk about love, when we talk about daisuke, when we talk about the other words that other languages and other cultures have come up with outside of just the Western English understandings, the differentiations between Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy, the differentiations between Chan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, I don't care how narrow you make the field or how big you make the field, macro and micro, soul and heart. That's what humanity strives to understand. That's the conversations we're having with each other. That's the conversations we're fucking up regularly. The divisional lines we're drawing between these things. Like we don't have these things. Like we don't have the connection of having depression. And so, yes, I would really like to slot in mind and body, the connection there being depression, but it's not. It's heart. Because depression goes maybe beyond that, but maybe not even as far as that. Depression is the way we understand the world around us. It's uniquely who we are. It's our fingerprint on the world, our, 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 our lens set of how we understand, 
our vision, our insight. Our, and so it has other pieces that go along with it. And I'm not here saying that soul and mind, I'm sorry, soul and heart together make up depression. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Although maybe that's where I'm going with this if I had to make a pyramid. But I don't think necessarily that's the right answer. It could be. Sometimes I work backwards from things. I learn that, you know, I, I find the means at the ends and then I kind of break it apart. And thus I broke depression into self-awareness and I was left with self, body, mind, and spirit. And I, knew, I found that the connection between the spirit and the mind is soul and this connection between the mind and body is heart. But going to the first line of the Tao Te Ching, that, that, that generalized warning, the Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can not, I'm sorry, the name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. Going to the next line. Having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. Having a name, it is the mother of all things. Third line. Always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would sound. But if desires always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. Fourth line. Under these two aspects, it is really the same. But as development takes place, it receives the different names. Together we call them the mystery, where the mystery is the deepest, is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. The idea of the soul. ever-present. The Egyptians spent monstrous amounts of resources on understanding what the soul was, how it worked. Their entire pantheon was based on where souls came from and where they went to. Spiritual Buddhisms, Hinduism, any cultural reference to a understanding of reincarnation Taoism spent massive resources. Now, I include mental time, the, the resource of the mind being spent on something, the effort as a resource, the, the ability for the mind to use imagination, be it, you know, through logic gates, reason, subjective understanding, anecdotal stories. It's a resource. The, the power of the mind, of imagination, is a resource. And we spend it constantly. We often refer to it as manpower or man hours. Human hours or human power. That's how we quote purchase orders on things for construction jobs and stuff like how many man hours is it going to take. So I absolutely consider that a resource and we've not only spent its resource, but we've spent water and, and food and the things that go into creating the fuel for that mind to be able to do it. Those are also resources. Those are sub resources to this big resource. So we have spent a ridiculous amount of resource on this. The Egyptians alone, a lot Chinese philosophers, a lot. The Japanese philosophers, a lot. The Indian philosophers, the whole Brahmic community, a lot. The priesthoods, a lot. The 
the pagans, I, I hate saying, those who believed in their pantheons, I'll put it that way, a lot, the Greeks, a lot, oh, a metric fucked on. Um, we've spent a lot of it trying to piece together the understandings of these two things, soul and heart. And for a very long time, we've left it up to a bigger, broader understanding to converse about their correlation, to converse about how they go together or how they're represented. The Taoists, who use the Tao Te Ching, not all Taoists do, were warned right up front. The Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. So in fact, having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. But having a name, it is also the mother of all things. I've, I, I, I deign to say that is a conversation of soul and heart. Everyone has to define what spirit means to them, their answer to their why questions. You have to define as a human what's going to shape your moral compass, what's going to be your, going to the cards here, what's going to be your ace of cups to your seven of cups so that you can reach your ten of cups. We'll go through those individually here. What is going to be your ace of cups? What is going to be your healing moments and are you going to represent the choices that you do have? The Are you going to be stubborn and just kind of shut down and not make any choices for yourself? Are you going to allow others to make choices for you? Because you're going to miss out on all the healing that can happen there. And healing doesn't have to just be, you know, a wound or, or, or a psychological event. Or It's all of these things encompass. It's, it's the idea of the outcome. And you have to define where your measurement for all of these things are going to be. You know, what are, what are your seven of cups? What are your seven cups full of all the different possibilities and the infinite amount of possibilities that come from those, all of these choices that are going to need to be made. How are you going to make them? Are you just going to hide from them? Are you going to run away from them? So that's the understanding there because it, once you, once you deem to make those, once you actually go and make those choices, you can absolutely head for your ten of cups, your fairy tale ending moment. And you have to decide if that's fate or not. You have to make that correlated representation. Having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. That is the conversation of soul. That your body is a vehicle for this thing, this connection between mind and spirit, known as soul. your creator that which brought you out of chaos chaos came first remember that's how I define things chaos came first the biggest lie ever told was that creation came first no 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 chaos comes first which doesn't make anyone right or wrong 
because I've already stated, you know, the difference between Chan Buddhism and, and Zen Buddhism is the Chinese mind versus the Japanese mind, the greater canon versus the lesser canon, and how they perceive in that sense how things go through the cycle. In the Chinese mind, everything's born perfect so that it was already ordered. It had yin-yang. It, it was perfect and then degrades through chaos. Well, I'm sorry, through destruction into chaos. Thus, it can be created again, created anew. Whereas the Japanese mind says it comes from chaos and then through creation, order, and, and then finally destruction, it becomes perfect. Back to chaos. They both follow the cycle, though. Where it goes awry is when someone says that creation came first. Chinese mind is not saying creation came first. They say order is how you come into being. The Japanese mind is saying creation and order is how you bring something into being. It starts as chaos. See, they're just talking about, they're talking about a different level. Vastly different level. This is the massive difference between Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy. Western philosophy decides to deal with humanity because they believe the lie of creation. They believe that creation came first and that it's ordained by God. And thus the singular pantheon split into the Trinity is the representation of where things started. And thus they have to argue constantly about what defines and designs and makes up humanity and it's, it's, it's ethical nature. Someone like Thomas Paine versus Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Paine wrote common sense, believing in that, you know, order will rule, you know, people will, will govern themselves. will will have common sense and, and will, will essentially do good. The good will win out in the end or someone like, uh, Thomas Hobbes, who wrote the Leviathan and believes that humanity is generally shitty, will 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 destroy itself when given the ability and will generally seek out a, and I'm paraphrasing greatly, go read both of them, they're both great, um, a Mad Max-esque idea that, that beyond that, that uh, Thomas Hobbes goes farther to say that like, Ultimately, Thomas Paine is saying, like, no, people will govern themselves. They will figure it out. They will, they will find governance in themselves. They will do it for themselves and thus do good because of that. Thomas Hobbes says that, no, people are generally shitty and they need to be ruled. They need to be governed. But these are Western understandings of a, a situation in which everything starts from creation. And thus you were always to be ruled. You were always to be ordained inside of the world in which you would exalt yourself, live for your God, right? Even the Middle Eastern world has some sort of representation of that in the prophetic understanding of, of Muhammad and that um, the, the, the representation of the five pillars of Islam, how, how one should conduct themselves is still an exaltation of God, that creation came first, and thus you should live for that fact, and thus there is a, there, a methodology in which you can be ruled, or should be ruled. Comparatively to the Eastern philosophies, and again, I will say, this is just my understanding, I'm just trying to provoke thought here, the Eastern philosophies work above that understanding. 
they already know the cyclical primordial nature. They just kind of differ on where things start. They all know where it ends, though. That's the representation of the Tao Te Ching. That is what the Taoists believe. That's why you can, both Taoism and Buddhism, you can be Taoist and something else. You can be Buddhist and something else. You can be a, you know, it, it's an additive, not an additive. It, it is its own thing. And I, I don't mean disrespect there, but it's, it's an understanding that can be, can, can incorporate, um, It's, it's a way of, I don't even know, a good way of putting it in the sense of I suppose I'll use, and I, again, I'm not meaning any disrespect here. I, I don't mean it to be, I don't know. Um, I'm looking up one thing because I don't want to get this. I don't want to get this wrong because <laughs> I could get it very wrong. Um, and I don't talk about it very often. So bear with me on this one. Um, my understanding because of, and how I've, I've learned about the cultures, Chinese, Japanese, uh, not that that's the purest representation of the Eastern philosophies and the culture. These are just some of the biggest, and thus, you know, I reference them more easily. And they're they're also so ridiculously in depth, <laughs> given their culture and history. Um, the one I don't reference very often because it's the one that I have. I'm having more experience with now, but I didn't have as much experience with to begin with. Is the Korean culture, and so we have something like uh, Korean shamanism, which is, I believe is known as Sindo. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I almost, I almost know definitely that I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, is a understanding of the gods and there's this ancestry and that, again, everything has a natural spirit, uh, which I believe the term is muism. Uh, um, um, what I'm getting at here, to kind of sum things up, when I look at the Chinese mind, the Japanese mind. We also need to bring in at this point, the Korean mind. And I like to say that Koreans are the great incorporators. And if you would ask, I believe if you would pull the Korean population, specifically South Korea, what their religious understanding is. Nowadays you would get a lot more Christians. Definitely. The Korean populace has come around to Christianity quite a bit. You would get many agnostics. I would say the majority of which are, because they don't think of their understandings as a religion. They're the great incorporators. And that's what I mean about how Taoism and Buddhism and um, I believe even Confucianism. Um, um, I'm going to look up one more thing. Apologies. I don't usually do this, but again, I don't want to misspeak. Um, here we go. Um, yeah, there we go. Taoism and Confucianism and um, Buddhism. Yeah, I don't think I'm misspeaking in saying those three. That's not an inclusive list, but those three. Uh, you know what? I'll leave Confucianism because I don't. I don't want to get into that whole 
uh, I'm trying to describe all that right now because I haven't spent any time on this podcast describing it. So it'd be a poor time to bring it in. Taoism and Buddhism can incorporate other things. I, I know Taoist or no, I can't say Taoist. I do know Buddhist Christians. I know, um, oddly enough, Judaic Buddhist, very interesting combination. Um, works really well. Uh, I do know a few Taoist Buddhists. I know, right? That's a, that's a mind fuck kind of, but it's because of the incorporation of how these things go together. And most Taoist Buddhists would more consider themselves Taoist than Buddhist really. And I don't think either one would actually say I'm this or that, but what I'm getting at here is the Korean populace is the representation of that. It's the representation of the great incorporators where there were traditional understandings, but they weren't religions, really. Um, this idea of Sindo or Muism of, you know, they were their cultural references of their understanding of Taoist Buddhism, the greater or lesser canons, the, the teachings of the Brahmin. Um, but they weren't religious aspects. They weren't specifically like, this is our religion. It was just the understanding thereof. And thus they could incorporate very easily and they do a great job of incorporation. Um, I don't say this lightly because I know it's a big statement to make. In the cultural reference of the three, we'll just use the three as an example. Um, Again, Chinese mind, Chan Buddhism, everything born perfect slowly degrades into chaos that version of the cycle japanese mind everything is born um from chaos and thus can become perfect that that and that's from chaos to destruction whereas um chinese mind order to chaos the korean mind begins a destruction and it fascinates me because I don't know enough about it to talk intelligently about it enough, which is one way to fascinate me, but it also allows for this thing is like the great incorporation. They start the cycle at destruction. Um, I've had some conversations with uh, some individuals who were, were from Korea, moved here and I worked with them and I I was able to pick their brain about some things and learning about um, Korean guilt was an interesting topic and I I can't do it justice. I would have to find someone to talk about it if I'm ever going to actually talk about it. But, uh, this woman, Sue, um, who was not, that was not her, her, um, Korean name. That was the name she took when she, uh, she came to America, but she would tell me about this thing like Korean guilt. And the way she would reference is, is through the understanding of Catholic guilt. Another thing I don't really understand, but I've seen and I've talked to people about. So in those reference conversations, I began to understand that she came from this place where the way her mother thought and the way she thought and the way her grandmother thought was, you know, um, her grandmother had a, 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 and as is in, I believe in most Korean families, the grandmother has a, a big influence on the, on the children. Um, she developed this understanding that everything starts with destruction 
that that's where their story begins. And that's why they're the great incorporators, because no matter what happens, they would just incorporate it and build a new. And thus they were able to allow for destruction to create. Yeah, I'm saying that correctly. Destruction to create the infinite possibility of chaos, but they didn't start with chaos. They, they didn't start with infinite possibility. They waited or started with the destruction of something to build something anew. Um, and historically they did that. Um, in quite a few historical records. That's kind of culturally my understanding and I'm not of their culture. So it's, it's, this is just the way I have come to understand their culture. My representation of in the cyclical nature, they started destruction. She called that her Korean guilt. And I'm not doing it justice. Again, I would have to bring someone on to talk about it, but the way she kind of put it to me, the, the translation I will make is imagine always expecting the next, the other shoe to fall, right? That, that, that colloquial saying, just always waiting for the other shoe to fall, right? Waiting for that all to fall apart. Doing that in a, a giddy anticipation almost, or maybe giddy is the wrong word, but doing that in a, in a anticipation in which, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I'm just, I, I'm not waiting for it because I'm just waiting, for, but I'm waiting for it because like, then I can get on with shit. Like, and then I can, I can finally get on with it. Like if it's you know, waiting for the other shoe to fall so that I can finally get on my way, which makes them the great incorporators because they were influenced by Taoism and Buddhism and Confucianism and all of these other understandings. And yet they made it their own. And so the Korean populace has their cultural reference of what would be known as Tao and not being Korean. I'll never understand it. So it's almost like their cultural depression. And that's, that's the point I've, I've kind of waited this whole point to, to make this whole uh, episode to make that point. Dow is in some ways so spiritual, so unfathomable, so infinite that it becomes the depression of the culture. Cause you know, I've said before cultures are a spiritual thing. So the Korean populace has their Dow. It's like an overarching reference of their culture. It's their way. And just like that has a thing, there's the Japanese way, the Japanese Tao, the Chinese Tao, the Indian Tao, the, the, the Iraqi Tao, the French Tao. We all know what the French Tao is. It's a very important Tao. The French Tao is you can't fucking rule the French. Don't try. Many tried. The Medici, ask the Medici how it went when they tried to rule the French. They all got their heads taken off. <laughs> That's the French Dow. Don't try to rule the French. That's part of their Dow, I should say. You have the American Dow. We talk about the Americans all the time. Like the Americans, yeah, this is the American way, man. It's Dow. But unless you're in it, you don't understand it. And thus it's their depression. So now we go up to a higher level. This is where the, this is the different, the Western 
philosophies are always trying to work individually. The Eastern philosophies are trying to work macrocosmically. The middle ground is the mind, right? So we got the body and we got spirit. Eastern philosophy is trying to figure out spirit all day long. Western philosophy is just trying to figure out why the body's doing shit. But they're both using the mind to get there. So my reference would say Western philosophy is trying to figure out the heart. Eastern philosophy is trying to figure out the soul. I'm trying to find a philosophy that figures them both out. And my reference point has been depression. The unique way in which we see the world. That's so unique we can't understand it. So in some ways, the Tao, the Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. This is to say there is no answer. The answer is there is no answer. But the warning has been given. I have now given a definition. So I go on to the second. Having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. Having a name, it is the mother of all things. The answer that there is no answer is the mother of all things. When I don't define it, then it becomes the originator of the heavens and the earth. There is something above the primordials. There is something above or below. Who knows? I, I, we're left or right. Uh, don't pick a cardinal point. That's a bad idea, actually. Beyond, maybe. Whatever. No good word for it. Answer is nowhere. It's no answer. Of chaos, creation, order, and destruction. Because they are cyclical, right? They are a cycle. In order for a cycle to exist, there must be something outside of the cycle. The third part of chapter one of the Tao Te Ching. Always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would sound. But if desire always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. If we are stuck in cycle, we'll never understand what's not cycle. It's not possible. But we know it exists because macrocosm, microcosm, we know there's balance. We know there's asymmetrical balance. We know there's the the coin, there's the measurement, and thus there must be two sides. So if we have cycle, there must be no cycle. The counter to cycle. If we have space, we must have counter space, dielectric and, and, and magnetism. It gives us electricity, gives us a field, pressure motivation. Which uh, pressure motivation, I should say, is, is the balance of pressures. Easy way to think about it. Not an easy topic, not an easy concept or principle, but uh, an easy way to think of it is the, is the balance of pressures and how that reacts three-dimensionally in a field space. Last line of the chapter one. We're just on chapter one. <laughs> we're not going to go any farther, but we're just on chapter one here. Under these two aspects, soul and heart, it is really the same, but as development takes place, it receives the different names, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, skin color, financial situation, political party, you name it. We've come up with a divisional line. We're good at it. 
Together we call them mystery. Where the mystery is the deepest is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. If humanity can come together to create an understanding, a philosophical understanding, one that can be discussed, debated openly in a forum, not a half forum, not a half circle, a full forum, that which is represented by a dais in the center of which someone can talk about, and that dais would be circular so that one can move around and address the audience of the forum, the forum being that of a circle of raised ledges in which people can sit and converse, and the forum being the understanding that anyone may speak. And anyone may be challenged upon speaking. That is the truest nature of a forum. Something that has been lost to antiquity, lost to history. Then we may have the discussions about the great mysteries. Because all mystery schools are trying to understand only one piece of this coin. Only one side of soul or heart. And none that I have ever come across have addressed that which is the greatest mystery, that which would be defined beyond what we would just call God. In fact, we would call Tao of the connection between spirit, mind, and body, which is greater defined as the connection between soul, that of which is the connection between spirit and mind, and heart, that of which is the connection between body and mind. And so if we could talk about this openly and have some sort of conversation about what this could be, what this, what this connection between heart and soul is, we could truly define what humanity is. And by that, we would then destroy humanity. We would have to become something else. And that's why it's the greatest mystery. And I'm not conclusively saying this yet, but it's almost like the answer is there's no answer. Because if there is, we stop being human. We're no longer humanity at that point. Does it mean we get to evolve and become something greater? Maybe. Maybe. Would that not be the definition if we look at, and I'm going to just go crazy here at the end because I'm allowed to. It's my podcast. Do what I want. Would that not be when we talk about the stories of fantasy, right? We talk about the elves, that the elves go and they, they learn what there is to be learned and then they disappear from the world. Tolkien wrote, wrote about this. Most representations of what would we consider elves wrote about this. A, a, a cultural representation of a society that came together, even though divided in some cases, that came together to understand their connection of soul and heart and thus quote-unquote, transcended or moved on to a different reality. What would the reality look like when, if, if humanity understood its Tao? That if the, the world came together to understand that the cultural reference of a society or the multitude of societies that we live in today, the, the cultural pieces, are uniquely their own and thus can never be understood. Not that we shouldn't try, just like I talk about with the microcosm of the individual. I'll never understand your depression. It's uniquely who you are. It's how you fucking see the world. And no one's ever going to understand that. But the definition I have 
for unconditional love is that in which someone would try to understand knowing they'll never be able to, but they put in the effort, they put in the time, they put in the magnitude of doing so. That's unconditional love. Could we not have unconditional love for one another? By trying to understand each other's cultures, knowing we'll never actually be able to fucking do it, but we should try because it's important. Because culture is a spiritual representation of a set of humans. And every set of humans gets to be spiritually represented. And there is no right fucking answer. And until we agree upon that very fact, that the answer is there's no answer, and that's okay. We can never be one culture. We can never be truly human. Because right now we're not. I'm here to say that I challenge the idea that we are actually human. We haven't achieved that yet. What is defined that all of antiquity, all of philosophy, all of theology, all of these great thoughts and processes that humanity, quote unquote, has tried to develop is incomplete. The work is not done. We have at this point failed if we now give up. We are on the cusp of failure. That's what these cards say. We could, we could have the fairy tale ending, the nine of cups. But there's some big, big decisions that need to be made of mass, mass, vast multitudes of possibility, the seven of cups. But until we recognize the ace of cups, that we must make the decisions and that we have to be open to do so, We'll never get there. And the lovers, that these decisions are fucking hard. But the overarching set of all of these cards together, the tale hasn't been written yet. We're still writing it. Humanity as a whole is still trying to understand its depression. We don't know how we look at the world yet. We only know how we look at each other. And it's pretty shitty. I want you to deeply think about that idea. That the work of humanity is not done. We're still in the process of doing it. We're still trying to figure out the depression that would be humanity. We have the depression that would be the culture of China. We have the depression that would be the culture of Japan, of India, of Australia, of, of America, of all these continental countries, of Euro the European Union, or just Europe itself. Even on that, it's all broken up. And beyond that, it's broken up into its sole pieces of, in China, there's all of the different provinces. In Japan, there's all the prefectures. In America, there's all the states. And beyond that, there's all the counties. And, there, and beyond that, there's all the towns. And in in the European Union, there's all the countries, and inside of all the countries, there's its own provincial ideas, and in just Korea alone, you have North Korea and South Korea. Divisional lines. That's how we're defining humanity. We're defining humanity by division. I would say we fucking failed at that point. If we stopped here, we failed. We're not human. Humanity would be a cultural connection, a, a full understanding of soul and heart together, one understanding, 
even if that answer is there's no answer, it's one understanding, which means we've come together as a whole. We have not done that. The work's not done. We are not together as one race. That race is the wrong word. Here's a new one for you. Species. We can't be defined as one species. Sir, scientifically, yeah. Okay, anatomy, physiology, you're a species. Taxonomy, you're a species. But it doesn't answer philosophy. It doesn't answer theology. It doesn't answer all of the other pieces that we use to say that we're somehow more educated and that we're somehow smarter or what makes us human makes us an intelligent race. We are defining that ourselves. And I would say that we're not very intelligent. We're very imaginative, but that doesn't make us intelligent. The work's not done. We haven't figured it out yet. And in fact, right now we're going the opposite direction. We're going towards a, a divisional line where we give up. That the experiment has then failed. The hypothesis of humanity is proven wrong and we have to divide into different things. Or we can try, we can put in the effort to understand that of which would be known as the depression of humanity. The way we see, we see. This is not easy work. Generations upon generations upon generations of resources. Remember, mental power. And thus that what goes into becoming calorie, the calorie can be burned for imagination. That is resource. Generations upon generations upon generations have been thrown at this. And a lot of great work has already been done. But it's unwinding very quickly in today's society. The modern society has unwound a great deal of what we've already figured out, hidden more, thrown away a lot of others. And yes, there's people to blame for that. And the time will come when that conversation needs to be had. I'm sure of it. It's quickly upon us, actually. It's weird to think that I might actually see that in my lifetime. It's both exciting and terrifying. Because for that to happen, the society that we now know, what we consider quote unquote modern society, has to be destroyed so that we can go back to the infinite possibility that we can create a new understanding, a new way of doing things so that then we can thus work in the direction of trying to figure out what is this connection of soul and, and heart? What is the depression of humanity? Because we don't know yet. And thus we can't actually be defined as human yet. Because we've put that on a pedestal that we think we understand. We don't. You can't measure us upon that idea because we don't quite understand it yet. And so the, the effort must be put into to figure that out. And we got to start from viewpoints of, I don't fucking know. I want to find out. I really do. I want to find out. But I don't know yet. It's okay to say I don't know. 
we got to start there. I think, I mean, that's a good, I think it's a good starting point. At least there's probably other really good starting points and yeah, those should be done as well. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket here and probably don't give the eggs to me. Cause I'm just going to make like an omelet or something. That, that, that's where I'm at. That's where I've gotten to with this podcast, this, this existential crisis of trying to figure out what the fuck spirituality is. I started with this thing known as depression. I'm ending here, not ending, but I'm coming to the conclusion that it also has to do with depression. And that depression also can be microcosm and macrocosm. And that's why I'm talking about this thing known as the Tao or just Tao. We'll go back through the definitions. Now that I've said all that, let's go back through the definitions. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, definition for Tao. The unconditional and unknowable source and guiding principle of all reality as conceived by the Taoists. Yeah, I think, I think they're, they're, they're definitely doing some good work there, trying to figure that out. They don't quite have it defined, though. Keep that in mind. Coming back, we'll come back to that. That'll be what I finish with. I'll come back to that to finish with that. Next definition. The process of nature by which all things change and is which and which is to be followed for a life of harmony. Great. Cycles. Chaos, creation, order, destruction. The non-capitalized versions used in different aspects. The path of virtuous conduct as conceived by the Confucians. The Tao. To, to, to have a Tao of something, the Tao of archery, the Tao of pottery, the Tao of finance, the Tao of drinking water, the Tao of swimming, the Tao of making a peanut butter and jelly. The art or skill of doing something in harmony with the essential nature of the thing. Again, the Tao of archery, the Tao of, you know. In when dealing with fate, if I bring the definition of fate back in here, the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come to be as they are or events to happen as they do. The final outcome. The final outcome. The circumstances that befall someone or something, the expected result of normal development, the inevitable and often adverse outcome, condition, or end. Disaster. Keeping those in mind. That's the understanding of fate, right? Back to that original definition. The unconditional and unknowable source and guiding principle of all reality as conceived by Taoists. But they don't know what it is. And they're okay with that because that's what they're they're trying to figure out. Because we go to the first line of the Tao Te Ching. The Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. It's a warning. It's an admittance. You got to try to figure it out because you don't know yet. They don't know yet. We don't know yet. And so this whole thing of defining humanity, and I've been trying to do that on the understanding of this, uh, to understand depression, right? That depression is uniquely how you see the world. Your depression is yours. It's, it's uniquely here. I can't understand it. If I'm going to have unconditional love for someone, it's the act of trying to understand, knowing that I'm never going to fucking do so. And if we use that definition when we talk about love, to have love for one another, specifically when we use statements like love and light, where light is the understanding of what we just talked about, 
light is the factor of a wavelength and thus everything around us is light. The material world we live in is a factor of light. You live in a reality in which light can be hard. It can be soft. It can be unseen. It can be seen. It can be everything. And that a field is pressure motivation, balance of pressure. We'll just call it that. And we live in a situation in which the dielectric plane and the plane of uh, magnetism cross over one each other as counter space and space, which is what allows us to have light, which we commonly use, something called electricity, it's just one version of that. Then in that regard, love, heart, and light, soul, can be used, can be measured. But we don't have a full understanding of it yet. And so, no, we are not yet human. And when we do figure out what it is to be human, we will thus then stop being human and start being something else. It is the greatest mystery of all time. What is this thing to be human? Because once we figure it out, all at the same time, we all stop being human because there'll be something else. Hopefully, Ten of Cups, that something else will be greater, will be a fairy tale ending. Right now, right now it won't be. The way things are going right now, we don't get a fairy tale ending. At least not one I think a lot of people would agree is a fairy tale ending. would be something else but comedy and tragedy I'm sorry comedy and drama someone's tragedy is comedy to someone and someone's tragedy is is drama to someone else what is your Dow start there what's your way keep in mind the, the first warning the Tao that can be trodden is not the enduring and unchanging Tao. The name that can be named is not the enduring and unchanging name. Having no name, it is the originator of heaven and earth. Having a name, it is the mother of all things. Always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would sound. But if desires always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. Under these two aspects, it is really the same. But as development takes place, it receives the different names. Together we call them the mystery, where the mystery is the deepest, is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. Where the mystery is the deepest, is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. So far, in history, that of which we record of time and space, that which has magnitude, where we measure soul, how we are able to affect heart. We have the opportunity 
to be that which is subtle and wonderful. We have that opportunity. We are the current iteration of that which is trying to be human. We are trying to figure it out. We're it. All 8 billion of us, or whatever the number is now. We're it. We're, we're, we might even be the last. Who knows? We don't even know what came before us. How I read everything in, in my understanding, we're like the fifth iteration of this, of this try. We're the, we're the fifth version of trying to figure out what this thing known as humanity is, what this thing known as to be human is. So far, we have yet to figure it out. We have the opportunity to be that of which is subtle and wonderful. We're not there yet. Once we get there, whatever the outcome is, we'll stop being human. Maybe we get it wrong and there needs to be another iteration. We try all over again. That's called reincarnation. And at this point, I think in this episode, I've defined enough things. And I've, I've come to enough, not conclusions, understandings. And so at this point, I think I have to thank the tarot deck for leading me in this direction. I have to thank all of the people who came before me to try and understand these things. And I have to thank you, the listener, for uh, so far coming along on the ride and hopefully I'll be able to figure out more. Who knows? Hopefully you'll be able to figure out more. Who knows? I. It feels like I'm onto something. I don't know. I try to be humble about all this shit. I'm not really sure. I don't even know what my Tao is in some ways. I suppose my Tao in, in some ways is, is to try to find the missing conversation. And I say that in the definition of what a mystery is. The last line, I'll go over it one more time. Together we call them the mystery. These are the two aspects, right? The originator of heaven and earth, the mother of all things, heart and soul. In that, in that regard, it would be soul and heart. Where the mystery is the deepest is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. My Tao is to find what that conversation looks like and then to have people have it. Some are starting. Many have started. Many, many, many have started. And we need to keep that up. But we got to broaden it. We got to make it bigger. We have a chance. I know we have a chance. We have the opportunity. We got to be the lovers. We got to make the hard decisions. We got to be the ace of cups. We have to represent. We have to understand that these these opportunities do exist. There is there is possibility for this. We also need to understand that the seven of cups, the possibilities are infinite, are are very are, are crazy. And if we if we can get it right though, there is a fairy tale ending. 
The deepest is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. That is the truest mystery. The connection of heart and soul. That's all I got for you on this one. Uh, come check us out, tamingindrus.com. Check out the archive. I will try to update that uh, at some point with some new links and some new understandings and some new ideas. Put some books that I've referenced uh, on there. Um, check out, uh, go to purebulk.com and use code Taming Hindrances for 10% off. Uh, they're an amazing company that provides bulk supplements as well as uh, some um, some just, just general uh, pill form supplements. I highly recommend their uh, immunity booster. Um, they, have, they have two. They have an immunity, bo- immunity booster, which is just a pill you can take, and they also have a, um, an immunity uh, um, damn it, my words are just going away right now here. Uh, they have an immunity uh, well, I don't remember what the hell I'm talking to sign to say here. Give me one. It's the end of the episode. You can just head out. But um, purebulk.com immunity support protocol. That's what I'm thinking. Of. They have a protocol. It's immunity support protocol of a, of a couple different things you can take in correlation to each other that really help with that. Um, check out Pure Sleep. I did a review on that on the YouTube channel, uh, the Pure Sleep Gen 2 for a Cliff High. Would love to talk to Cliff about some of this stuff. Uh, who knows if that'll ever happen. That would be amazing, though. I'm sure he could really help in trying to figure all this out. Uh, but he has an amazing um, sleep product that helps uh, get you to sleep, keeps you asleep, better quality of sleep. It's not habit-forming. There's no melatonin in it. So check that out. Uh, what else is on there that I take regularly? Oh, they're, uh, they're multivitamins, like $9. It's amazing. I take it every day. It's one of the best multivitamins on the market. There's no extra bullshit. It's just the bare minimum of what you need to take for the day, which helps kind of fill the gaps for, you know, whatever your nutrition might happen to be. Uh, You know, you don't have to worry about getting your base minimum. It's just there. You have it. Uh, you can always add dosage of that. I, sometimes I take two or three just to kind of boost my levels. So purebulk.com, use code Taming Hindrances for 10% off. I get a small um, commission. Really helps out the podcast. Uh, and thank you, Purebulk, for all that. Thank you to Glenn. Shout out to Glenn. I've, I don't think I've ever done a shout out on the podcast episodes. Glenn, thank you. You're an amazing uh, rep. I'm, so much fun dealing with you. Uh, it's just as far as the, you know, connection I've had with Purebulk. Glenn, you've been great. I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, oh, and uh, you know what? Another shout out while I'm thinking of it. All of the packagers, uh, when I get my Pure Bowl patches, packages, they have a sign-off sheet, which is really nice to see the way they do the sign-off is they uh, package your order and three people go over the pooling and packaging um, so to make sure everything goes correctly. Uh, some some random names I've seen are like Raven and they all have like code names, I think. Uh, but thank you to all the packagers. I'm sorry I don't have all of your names just like readily available that I've seen on there. But thank you to all of you as well. And again, thank you to my listeners, those few that there are. Um, one last thing I'll add here at the end. I'm sure most of you have already headed out, but if you can leave a review on your podcast, um, site that you prefer, if it's Apple, if it's Spotify, if it's, uh, even if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on, um, iHeartRadio, I think I'm on, um, any podcast platform that you're listening to podcasts on, if you can leave me a review, reviews really help out. Uh, ranking and then also other people hearing about the podcast. So that's another thing you can do is like go and tell other people about the podcast for me. Uh, so we can all come together in this conversation and try to figure out the fuck I'm talking about here with this heart and soul thing and self and awareness and depression and all that. Take care. I'll catch you on the next one.
Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.